Hello listeners, I'm Carl Anker and welcome back to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. With me today as usual, it's The Athletic's Manchester United writer, Laurie Whittle. Laurie, how you doing? I'm doing good, Carl. My hair's getting more and more frazzled and, and uh, lion mane-like, but apart from that, decent. Very good. I've got a mini fro in the making here now. Lovely. <laughs> also with us, as usual, is Unite We Stand editor and contributing writer to The Athletic, Andy Mitten. Andy, how you getting on? Okay, thanks, mate. I'm getting my hair cut, so I'm really excited. First time wow. in two and a half months. Two and a half months? First haircut. God, I'm jealous. What are you going to go for? Well, well I, I did buy some clippers about a month back, and I let my, my wife have a go. And I, I basically put my trust into her, and she cut the hair and started laughing at me. And I'm thinking, if you've messed it up, just to at least keep, <laughs> keep, keep it to yourself. So uh, I, I've never looked as forward to having my hair cut in my life as I am so that's the truth of it yeah I'm sure many people can relate to this because there's people walking around with with their hair cut I saw someone have a go at Gary Neville the other day saying it looks like your hair cut has been cut with a knife and fork which made me laugh (laughs) (laughs) it's that other cap isn't it Andy it's this yeah yeah I don't suit a cap at all so I'm 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 a bit I need I need it cutting (laughs) well I look forward to your haircut and and please grace us all on social media with the uh after photograph soon uh listener don't forget you can enjoy the athletic for free for 90 days by going to theathletic.com forward slash man united pod that's theathletic.com forward slash man united pod we are once again continuing our rebooted series where the athletic goes back to the 98 99 season where Manchester united win the treble and prove they are the greatest football club on god's green each episode we're going to look back to the games united played 21 years ago this week a bit of an odd one Manchester United played an Illinois draw with Blackburn, where Brian Kidd's Blackburn got relegated from the result. Not the best. The big news, however, came from Ellen Road the night before, where Jimmy Floyd Hasbank scored a late goal to give Leeds a 1-0 victory over Arsenal. A very strange 48 hours for English football. Andy, I'm pretty sure you were at Ewood Park at this time, were you? I was. United were on the way to winning the treble and... Blackburn was an away game which United fans really miss. You had the biggest ticket allocation, 8,000 seats in the Darwin end and there was an extra twist there because Brian Kidd had left his role as Manchester United's assistant manager mid-season to go and manage Blackburn and he found it a struggle and I understand why he he made the decision. I mean, he's he, he got a much, much bigger contract than he was on at United. But he wasn't just that. He was being offered a chance to manage a Premier League team 20 minutes drive from his front door. And when he left, he, he wasn't waved out with thanks from, from Sir Alex. They had a bit of a fallout. Um, and that took a few years to for, for, for that relationship to, to pick up. And, you know, United fans like Brian Kidd and... The United got a draw there, which was actually a decent result because Arsenal had not won, and Blackburn went down, and uh, it, it was a, it was a strange one for, for for Kiddo, and there was there was no love lost between Kiddo and Fergie, even though after the game they went in and had uh, a glass of wine together, and, and Fergie was surprised at how upbeat Kiddo was despite the team um, being relegated. But it was a shame that Kiddo's a good man, he's a good football man, he's a good Mancunian, and. I wanted to see him do well. If not, you know, I'm pretty indifferent about how Blackburn Rovers go on. <laughs> you knew Kudo quite well, did you not? Yeah, I did. And I think they're a really nice family. Um, I, I, I knew him well. Um, first of all, at United. And I remember 
going in to see him at the cliff once and I had um, an Apple Mac with, with a, like a mouse on, on the keypad. And about a week later, I got a, a message from um, Sir Alex Ferguson's secretary, uh, Lynn Laffin, um, God rest her soul. She's saying, kiddo says you've got a mouse that he wants. I'm like, what? <laughs> and he, kiddo had been completely blown by this computer where the mouse didn't, wasn't like on, on the end of a cable. Um, but yeah, I knew him. I mean, I used to know his daughter, Claire, very well. And in fact, the first time I went out with Claire, I, I lived in a student house in Ermston in Manchester and Claire came back to mine and, and my three mates decided to decorate the house with pictures of Brian Kidd. So Claire came back to see pictures of her dad all over and <laughs> thought, thought that was a complete and utter weirdo, but she 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 laughed a lot at it, but they're a really nice family, and I know I know Brian's at City now, but I've got a lot of time for him on on many different levels, and you know when when my own father passed away a couple of years ago, one of the first people to ring me was was Kiddo, and he'd he'd seen it in the Manchester Evening News, and I remember I remember years ago him him saying. It, it, the worst thing in his life would be if he couldn't walk down Dean's Gate with his head held high. That's Manchester really means a lot, a lot to him, and I think he's a man of integrity and got a lot of time for his family. And obviously, when he didn't beat United that night and got relegated, that that was a pretty big blow for his managerial aspirations. If Arsenal lose and they the draw. Are you thinking this is it? United are going to win the title, or are you a squeaky bum time, as it were? Well, it was it was squeaky bum, but. Squeaky Bum was pretty normal then. It, it was really strange emotions because for the first time in my life, I found myself supporting Leeds United and saying, nice one, Leeds. You've just done us a massive favour there, which probably really annoyed Leeds fans that they'd done Manchester United <laughs> um, a big favour. And then there was a, an away game at Blackburn to look forward to. As I said, really close to Manchester. Everyone always made the, made the most of, of that. And then... It was pretty rare for United not to score in a game. So to draw nil-nil would have been a bad result if Arsenal wouldn't have been beaten. And it was just all about kid. I remember Fergie saying he was surprised at the team that Blackburn set out because he only had Ashley Ward up front um, with with two wide men, three men in midfield. And Fergie felt it was like Kiddo um, was setting up not to lose... The game when when actually Blackburn needed to to win the game, Blackburn could have still stayed up, and there, there was always that sort of edge between the two of them. Sort of publicly, they they spoke well of each other, but there was there was definitely an issue after after Brian left Old Trafford, and that happens in football a, a lot of the time. It's a shame for Brian. I mean, he, he went with Brian McClare, who's another great fella, uh, up up to Blackburn, and so it was only four years after Blackburn had won the league, so it was quite a big fall to go from can you remember it Laurie you too you remember Blackburn winning the league yeah no yeah I remember Blackburn winning the league because I was speaking to my dad about this the other day and, and it was obviously the early days of Sky Sports at least in our household and um, we went round to our, our auntie and uncle's cousin's house because they had that they'd got it early doors and I just remember the that West Ham game you know Andy Cole missing although actually if you watch it back it's not as many chances as it felt like at the time but anyway yeah so obviously Blackburn went up to Anfield and lost but still won the title so yeah I do remember the the 99 game being a bit of a we weren't sure exactly what was a good result because obviously Arsenal um, had lost the night before so obviously a point means that it's still in United's hands although it's not the win that basically would confirm it but um but I know we we, we went to the Spurs game obviously 
for the final day of the season. So at least we, we knew we were going in there with, you know, in United's hands and, it, you know, ideally it's going to be United win. It was just obviously the way that match went, which I'm sure we'll get onto next week. It kind of made uh, the butterflies in the stomach fly a little bit more. But um, if, if it had been a win at Ewood Park, but I, mean, I, I, I didn't go to Ewood Park that often. I think I went twice, but it was such a great away, wasn't it? The That, yeah. that big stand, you had you sort of, I don't know, 8,000 is it sometimes? Yeah, it was. The, the one I went to was when um, it was fancy dress. I don't yeah. even remember that year. So I was yeah. in, I, I wore like a 1970-style United top um, that obviously was probably made by about, about 20p in some Far East country that, you know, n- nothing like the, the original. But um, but that was, it's a great day, you know, in terms of just having the atmosphere and, and you can really hear all the fans together rather than some of those stands where, you know, you kind of spread out and the, the noise doesn't travel. It really does sort of collect, doesn't it? And you can get a proper atmosphere going. Yeah, and, and the pub by the away end was the yeah. furnace that was yeah. always packed with United fans. It, it, it's a great football ground because it was rebuilt in the 90s and they, they, they bought up. Jack Walker had the money to buy up all those terraced houses around the ground, build much bigger stands, but they're proper like individual football stands. So it was it held 31, 32,000 and 8,000 ticket allocations. I'm not sure the Lancashire Constabulary would agree that was always a good <laughs> idea. I'd say that the, the publicans of, of Lancashire might say it was fantastic having their business uh, there. But yeah, I saw some sites on them trips to Blackburn. We, we would run coaches there and we had lots of requests, even though it was only half an hour away. People, can we just stop here? So you'd be stopping on the moors between, <laughs> between Bolton and Blackburn. And I can remember seeing 50 men lined up um, taking a break. Uh, on top of the moors, four miles outside um, Darwin and, and, and Blackburn. And uh, it seems nice to reminisce about it now, but at the time, trust me, I had responsibility for those coaches. But yeah, I, re- I remember the um, the 70s away date was organised by Red Issue, another United fanzine, and that was, that was a big success. It was a great idea. Harry's sponsors Talk of the Devils podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Harry knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. There's a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. So, if you're in the middle of lockdown and your beard isn't quite the way you want it, I'd recommend getting a bit of Harry's. And the great news is, as a listener of Talk of the Devils podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and you can get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, a five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and a travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash talkofthedevils right now. That's harrys.com slash talkofthedevils. I want to talk about another fixture. It happened this week, 29 years ago. Manchester United played Barcelona in the Cup Winners' Cup final. A great redemption for Mark Hughes. Oh, yeah, I mean, this was one of the greatest games in my life. United had, had not played him 
European football. No English team had played in European football for five years after Heysel. So it was really exciting to go back into Europe in 1990. And United drew pretty underwhelming opponents. It was Wrexham, Pexy Munkus from Hungary, um, Montpellier. I mean, that seemed like a big deal at the time. And then Legia Warsaw in the semi-finals. So none of them could be described as European giants, but Barcelona absolutely could, managed by Johan Cruyff in Rotterdam. Relatively easy to get to from from Manchester, a great football ground known as the Bowl for its atmosphere, and I was so so excited. And initially, the club said you're not allowed to travel unless you go on on an official officially sanctioned trip, and we complained about that. And the club relented and said, okay, if you can prove your own travel, um, we'll give you tickets. And and when I received that green. Uh, ticket uh, it was like honestly it felt like one of the greatest moments in my life and I booked on a coach from Manchester which was described as as executive and maybe that maybe that coach was executive when it was built in in 1954 but when I got on it in <laughs> 1991 um, I think the executive stretched as far as to having windscreen wipers there was no toilet on it it, it was ridiculous and then and I was 17 18 years old and it was full of like really rum lads from Salford who um, were looking forward to going to Amsterdam, not necessarily to see the Anne Frank Museum. And they looked after us. Looking back, they really looked after us. It was me and my mate, and these older lads looked after us in Amsterdam. It was so exciting to go to Amsterdam for the first time and to just to walk through the red light district and see these girls because we were never even gonna, we we're never going to speak to them or do anything. <laughs> and and then to go to Rotterdam in the rain and beat Barcelona. Barcelona were on the verge of greatness. They'd win the European Cup a year, a year after 91. They were missing mm. a couple of players. Cruyff was just was just back. And Can you remember, Laurie, United fans were singing Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. They had that white kit and Mark Hughes had a great game. And, mm. uh, I remember um, pre-match, I think Ronald Koeman said, I've never heard of Lee Sharp. And that, that just made Lee Sharp <laughs> really motivated. Although Lee didn't have a great game because initially he was overcome by nerves until Brian Robson uh, calmed him down. And mm. it was, I can remember everything about that game and that day, but I can't remember what I had for tea yesterday. It's mad, isn't it? Can you remember, <laughs> can you remember it, Laurie? Can you remember no. it, Carl? Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, go on, you tell me, Carl. I, I, I can't remember. I think you were when you were just born then, Carl. But I, no, I, I was four, I think, at the time. So I can't, I can't, I don't remember it watching it. But I've, I've watched it back since, obviously. And and yeah, that that Hughes goal from an impossible angle. I mean, where where were you watching that then? Because because could you see that was going in? Because it looks like, even when you're watching on on film, it doesn't look like it's going to go in, or it's, it seems like it's too impossible to to go in. Honestly, we were at the other end of the ground. It was a time when when football stadiums had huge fences, and I wouldn't say that I had a clear view of it. But um, you know, it was in net for Barca that night. It was Sergio Busquets' father, Carlos yes. Busquets. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but it was a we got absolutely soaked because unlike now that that stadium was uncovered. But it was just a sea of red, white and black. There was loads of Union flags. You don't see them so much now at United Games. Mm. Big Union flags. And I can remember playing football at, at Dover at 4am. Um, uh, it just it felt like a, a right into a passage into adulthood going there. It was so much more than, than a football game. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, 11 people from my school got... Um, got suspended uh, for, for going to Rotterdam. Um, I didn't, 
because my headmaster received a letter which may or may not have been fabricated uh, <laughs> from the mayor of Rotterdam in, <laughs> inviting me there in my role as United We Stand editor to promote goodwill among, among rival Barcelona fans. And he believed uh, it. Not only t- that, not only that, he shook my hand and congratulated me. <laughs> <laughs> and all the other people got suspended. Wow. Yeah. You know how to do it, I mean, it was, it, it, it was absolutely brilliant. United beating Barcelona in a European final, it was absolutely brilliant. And the cup, winner's cup was a huge deal. It was a massive deal. And, you know, it's... It, 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 was, it was just fantastic. Anyone who was there, and it was in the middle as well of that Manchester scene. Everyone wore flares. Um, the music, the Stone Roses, the Happy Mondays, James, the Inspiral Carpets. It, it captured the moment. There were so many people there with big beanie hats in, in Rotterdam. Uh, it was it was so much more than, than about the game. And then subsequently, I think I spoke to every single player about the game. And then you get the details that you, you and I would look for in, in journalism mm. and mm. you find out that, you know, I think it was Dennis Irwin uh, did a drug test after the match and everyone forgot about him and just left him in the stadium. Well, well, <laughs> well, well, this is... This is my this is my one bit that I'm going to in, interrupt, Andy. Because well, it, maybe Owen was also one of these guys, but but Mike Phelan, um, when I was at this thing in Burnley that he did, you know, that I mentioned the other week when he was talking to a, a local sort of group of uh, football fans, can I raise a bit of money for the for the community? He was he was saying that it was him. He was one it of the guys. That you're was, right. You're right. Was left wrong. Behind. It, it was definitely Phelan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and he tells the story brilliantly because he just sort of says that he was you know obviously he's got that thick Burnley accent that sort of just makes any story that more warm and, and kind of familiar I, I think and um, he was just talking about how you know he's obviously got pulled it was him and McClare that's what he said him and Brian McClare yeah. two Spanish yeah. lads so he said yeah. McClare just not not one out straight away no problem I was the one who couldn't um, right. and then so he's left in the dressing room drinking Carlsberg all sorts put the showers on but you've got some guy who's following you around waiting for you to do one and he just couldn't so he's missing all the celebrations the lights start going out and Fergie's coming over to him saying is there any danger of you going having a piss son so he's saying I can't I'm dehydrated he's like that's it we're off we're leaving you to be fair to him apparently Pallister and Int stayed with him um, and right. as, soon, as soon as he got back to the hotel jumped in a taxi and uh, and there we go. They could celebrate. He said that the spread was good afterwards. Have you heard about this? That that uh, no. Mick Huck, Mick Hucknell was there, giving it yeah. giving it the old simply red. Oh, brilliant! And then and a lot of the the younger lads who'd become the class of '92, um, some went and some didn't because this was obviously '91. But they, they had a huge party, and we did. We went back into um, into Amsterdam. Uh, I remember like just just going to bed and. Basically, this is the only one on my coach who went to bed. The others went to enjoy the whatever you do at night time in, in Amsterdam. But no, it was, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. It was a great... Ooh. Laurie, can you tell us a bit about Mark Hughes' redemption story in this game? Yeah, well, obviously, he'd gone to Barcelona, hadn't he? And, and you know, tried to make it in a, a different league, which I think you have to say fair credit to for, for going abroad, trying a different culture. Um, and But it didn't quite work out for him. So he came back to United and... It really had a, a kind of a second coming with with United. You know, he obviously then went on to win, you know, the first league titles for United in 26 years, um, and and it was really a 
a, a good thing that he came back rather than sort of stay out there and he could have gone a different way. Um, I mean, I, I, my relationship with Mark Hughes has only ever been as a manager when he's been with Stoke and he'd always be brilliant with us in the fact that he would take us into a side room and give us um, a little bit of extra time. Not a lot of managers did that. You know, they'd often do just the stuff in front of the, in front of the cameras and that's where they'd leave it. But he would always, he'd always love reminiscing as well about this kind of time. You could tell that he still had the spike in him, that the needle that he obviously played with, you know, he was a, a beautiful footballer, but also he knew how to put it about. And you could tell that he still had that in his management, obviously on the touchline, you could see it. And then also with us in the, in the press, he would just drop these little, little, grenades in, in the conversation that were, were certainly meant for, for sort of to, to do some damage to whoever he wanted to sort of do it to at that particular moment. So obviously with that Barcelona game, he clearly went into it with a bit of a, a motivation to, to really do well and, and obviously nicked the goal off of Steve Bruce, didn't he? So that was one and then and then his goal from, from the crazy angle. But I mean, yeah, do, what, what do you remember of that, Andy? Do you, do you sort of see it that way that he had that kind of mission to kind of prove Barcelona wrong? Yeah, because he'd gone to Barcelona and it hadn't worked out. He was, an, he was an amazing player. Why did he go to Barcelona? Well, he got offered 10 times what he was on at Old Trafford. 10 times what he was on. And I was gutted when he, when he left. And when he went to Barcelona, he didn't integrate. And he'll probably admit this now. And I remember him saying that he basically learned how to say two beers in Spanish and that was it. He locked himself away in his apartment and... I mean, come on, Barcelona is a wonderful city. Go out, explore it. And maybe he's got some regrets there. But, but I can remember wanting him to come back to United and, and being a kid and drawing a massive poster where I went onto the, the Stretford end because Hughes was coming back to play in a testimonial. I forget whose it was. And it said, come home, Sparky. And, and, I, and I stood at the front of the Stretford end by myself with this homemade poster and obviously it worked because he signed for Manchester United again two years later. So I reckon I got into his head there. Maybe he <laughs> saw through the fences, saw, saw the poster. But Hughes was a hero. Hughes was my childhood hero. He was, he was an absolutely incredible, um, strong uh, goal scorer who'd come through the youth ranks with Norman Whiteside, with, with Clayton Blackmore. And it was great. Fans just adored him because he bullied scouts as he got stuck into mm -hmm. to teams and... This was a United team which were not coming close to winning league titles. So you, you had to find your heroes in different ways. They weren't title winning heroes, but Hughes, Hughes was wonderful. And he also played for Bayern Munich. You know, look at who mm. Mark Hughes played mm. for. Barcelona, Manchester United and Bayern Munich. That is a great, great football career. And um, I've spoke to him a lot less since he became a manager. I don't know why, but I know players who, who played with him. And I did a piece last week for the athletic with Benny McCarthy and, and he spoke really well of, of Hughes the manager and I know he's, he's looking to get back in and, and to play again to, to manage again sorry rather than play because he's in his mid 50s he definitely couldn't play <laughs> not even masters <laughs> or, 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 although you know I mean his thighs were absolutely massive weren't they such a strong player and yeah. uh, top 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 player Mark Hughes it was also a big game for United goalkeeper Les Seeley Les Seeley, um, who died when he was only 43 in 2001, he'd come to United in 1990 as, as a reserve goalkeeper to, to Jim Layton. And he ended up being a cult hero to Manchester United fans because Jim Layton had a, had a poor FA Cup final uh, in which United drew against Crystal Palace for all. And Les Seeley was promoted uh, for the replay uh, had a game 
a great game. United won one nil. United, that was the first trophy that Sir Alex Ferguson won as Manchester United manager. And Sealy offered to give his winner's medal to Jim Layton. In fact, he insisted that Jim Layton had it because he played in all the games up to the final. And Jim said no. And I think they both ended up having a trophy. But it was never the same for Jim Layton again after that. He never, to this day, forgave um, Sir Alex Ferguson. He's not an Alex Ferguson fan. And he was his goalkeeper at Aberdeen. And and Sealy, he had this sort of image of being a, a, a loud Cockney um he was from south end he was he had a good good rapport with the fans i know i knew stories of him asking for lifts back to london with fans after after matches and he'd been a journeyman goalkeeper he'd played at coventry and, and luton town where he'd been successful and he actually came back to united in 93 94 he didn't I don't think he played again but he was very very popular he was a real sort of social convener in the dressing room and i think all successful clubs need characters like that. The, the listeners can tell he, he was very fondly thought of by United fans. Laurie, I want to talk to you a little bit about this Cup Winners' Cup win. It was a big trophy for Sir Alex, the second time he's won it, and sort of a catalyst for Manchester United, was it not? Yeah, catalyst is, is the exact word, actually, um, that, that Phelan uh, used in, in this talk that I, I reflect on where he we went back into his, his playing days. It was a really interesting chat that he gave us. But he, he said it, he called it a catalyst and basically said that for that group of players, it made them believe they could they could really do something because, as Andy's mentioned, this Barcelona side were, were a real top team. Um, you know, they had Laudrup in there. They also had Tixi Bagiristain, who obviously is Manchester City's director of football now. So, um, and Ronald Koeman, you know, various others that were so it was proper team so for United to actually go and beat them was it was a huge confidence boost uh, and given the fact that it came you know I guess 12 months after you know those sort of uh, you know banners suggesting that Fergie might be better off leaving United that he was his position was on the brink it really was a, a kind of quite a big turnaround and and as and as you know, it's been mentioned, it, it became became a bit of a platform for them to then go on and obviously win, challenge for the title the next season, then win the title the season after that. Um, I mean, it, it kind of just made sure that Ferguson was the right guy for them to be winning this silverware because two trophies in two years is, is a real statement of intent and and clearly gave everyone the belief that they they needed that they could win the league. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash man you and pay the postage of $4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Athletics podcast, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Korea, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to beer52.com forward slash manu to get your free case. And don't forget right now, Talk With The Devils listeners get two free extra beers. Elsewhere, looking at other Manchester United order of business, Laura, you've written a new piece about how uh, European clubs are eyeing up potential United prospects trying to 
nick some of United's good academy talent, including one Deji Sotona. Yeah, so it's a, a bit of an interesting sort of angle, I suppose, for for me to do a piece on. But I just thought it was it was worthwhile, you know, amid all the the coronavirus um, situation that. What will what will the transfer market look like? And one of the things that came out from talking to people was that could European clubs look at the English market for teenagers that haven't yet signed pro deals or you know are, are currently still on scholarships? And basically, FIFA compensation means that those players can be secured for for sort of knockdown prices, as it were. I mean, it's a very set uh, way that FIFA do it. So in terms of each year that they are at the club from. Uh, 12 to 15 it's 10,000 euro 15 to 21 it's 90,000 euro so you can you can easily see how a player could leave for, for you know a few hundred thousand pounds really um, if, if that was their intention so one one player that came up was, was Deji Satona so he has um, has had a sort of decent season he scored um, against Wigan Athletic in the FA Youth Cup quarterfinal that I went to at Old Trafford um, really good performance actually from him and, and a really nice finish it was the winning goal um, and he uh, afterwards he spoke about the fact that actually he prefers to play on the wing but it was a really good centre forward performance so anyway just in conversations it transpired that he has yet to have meaningful talks about a pro contract even though he's turned 17 um, in December so it's been quite a few months now that he, he could have signed one because um, they can sign players can sign pro contracts when they turn 17 um, and the, the sort of the way that he's been handled this season hasn't been I don't think to, to his liking essentially Um other clubs in Europe are looking at him. They are thinking, is it possible to, to mount a bid and, and, and get him and, and persuade him to come to us? At the same time, United will look at the situation and weigh up whether they still want to offer him a pro contract. They're, they're very um, cautious about the way they handle young players, certainly in terms of when they offer them pro contracts and when they then enter into negotiations for, you know, raises basically um they, they want to do it in a very staged way um keep making sure that the, that the incentive is still there for the player to earn it rather than just give them a load of money like we've seen in other cases at other clubs you know throughout the years so it's always a difficult balance to strike between keeping a player hungry and giving them enough opportunity so that they feel they're progressing so i can understand any player sort of looking at, at the options you know as each year progresses so it's, it's just one to watch i think um it's quite an interesting situation. And the other the other player that I mentioned in the piece is uh, a young lad called Noni Madueke, who actually left Tottenham for PSV Eindhoven in June 2018 when he was 16. So a similar kind of situation to Deji Satona. Hadn't signed a pro contract and um, PSV made him an offer and, and he, he thought, actually, that's where I am going to get a better opportunity to have first-team football. That was his driving motivation. The reason why I bring him into the conversation is because he actually also had talks with Manchester United at the time and basically felt that um, he wasn't going to get the same first team opportunities that he would do at PSV um, and, and this this is, is borne out because this season he's made his debut for PSV as an 18 year old so he feels very satisfied in, in, in the move that he's made and it's just a kind of interesting look at what the decisions are for these youth players because obviously you know it might seem obvious that you're in an academy you, you progress you know you, you you keep going year by year and eventually maybe you get offered a contract at Manchester United maybe you don't and, and then you you look at it then but some players are kind of being more assertive in the situation and wanting to make things happen by either leaving and then perhaps going back to the Premier League it's a really interesting sort of topic I think so yeah that's kind of what the idea was behind the piece. I think it is really interesting, Laurie, and, and you say it's delicate. There's a very fine balance between getting it right and getting it wrong. And yeah. I also sense that the the agents of some of the younger players, they try and put the stories out that there's interest in their player because they want a contract from Manchester United. But Manchester yep. United might be thinking, 
this guy's not going to make the first team, so we're not going to give him a huge contract. So there's always that disparity between perception and, and reality. And yep. someone's got to make the call, haven't they? Someone's got to say, uh, we think he's going to make it as a first-team player here and we're going to pay him accordingly. Or he's probably just going to miss out and they might lose him because of that. And then, of course, the club have got to keep hold of people like Mason Greenwood because you did have clubs coming in offering... Mm life-changing amounts of money to the Greenwood family. And then United have got to go to the family and the player and say, if you stay here, you will get a chance. Mm -hmm. There is a pathway to the first team here and the money will follow. But sometimes... And United also benefit from this because United might sign a player from Barcelona, for example. Barca refuse to pay the type of money that English clubs are paying the the, the 16 and and 17-year-olds. I think it's a really interesting area. Well, yeah, just picking up on that, I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's obviously not for me to say whether United should offer him a contract or not. I don't know. I've not. I've, I've only watched him a couple of times. They know much better than me whether he's going to be in the first team and, and maybe they don't think he ultimately is or, or they want to wait and see. And so I, I totally understand that then that's up to them and, and he might leave and, and not have a great career elsewhere. Equally, he might go elsewhere and have a great career and then they're thinking, actually, we might try and buy him back, you know, <laughs> as we yeah. saw with, with Paul Pogba. Pogba, I mean, yeah. mm, Show the short tire is another example, as you mentioned. Mason Greenwood got offered a pro contract before he turned 17. Mm. Show the short tire, we did a piece uh, not long ago. He's only 16. He scored also in this, this FA Youth Cup uh, quarterfinal win over Wigan. He looks a really talented player, and they have offered him. He signed a pre pro contract, so he turned 17 next February. So he's really advanced for, for what United are offering. So they do pick the players that they think are special, and yeah. they, they, they reward them in that sense with, with that commitment. So it's always up to a pe- personal opinion, isn't it? Really? really yeah also on the flip side of here Manchester United are eyeing up a young Barcelona right back Andy you're the man in Barcelona yeah. what are you talking about this yeah Gerardo I didn't know anything of it until I saw uh, a good source um, write the story in, in the Catalan newspaper uh, sport last week and people were saying oh you must have seen him but honestly I don't watch Barca's under 15s uh, <laughs> You know, I'm, I might I, I might be at the training grounds to interview a player, and I might see young kids walk past. But <laughs> if you want a detailed analysis, I am not the man <laughs> for that. So what what I did do is I I spoke to a couple of uh, Catalan coaches who are professionals who, who who know far more than I do. One of them didn't really know the player, and, and one of them is going to get back to me with more details. But he he said um, he is not the star of that team. But the wider context here is. Barca's youth system is not producing the, the level of talent that it was doing for the type of teams that beat Manchester United in European Cup finals a decade ago. And there seems to be a bit of an identity crisis. Uh, Barca are losing clubs, are losing players to, to big English clubs. They've lost players to Manchester City, to Manchester United. And, and part of that is their reluctance to pay what the English clubs will, will, will pay. So... What I do know is he will have come through an outstanding uh, football school. Uh, he's not the first Catalan youngster to sign for United. The most famous would be Gerard Piquet, and he would have been top level, but for uh, Nemanja Vidic and, and Rio Ferdinand, and you couldn't really blame him for wanting to go back and play for a team which won absolutely everything in his in his first season. But there's others, Arnel Pujmal, he's a, a young Catalan player who's been at United for, for two or three years now, and... Spain has been a football factory for the last 15 years. It produces technically gifted players. I know there's this tiki-taka 
uh, cliche, but the, the, the technical level of a, a typical Spanish 15-year-old tends to be higher than an equivalent um, in England. So United scouting operation has improved a lot in Spain. There's been some changes, but they are watching the best young uh, players and they have the wherewithal to buy them or to make an approach for them. And it's Manchester United. It's a major name of world football. It's very attractive. Um, if you can come at a young 16-year-old and say, look at our first team now, look at Mason Greenwood, look at Brandon Williams, look at these young players who are playing first-team football, and then look at Barcelona. And do you see the same pathway into the first team, which maybe there was a decade ago? No. Do you see it at Manchester City? No, not at all. And then there's loads of side elements to this. You could say that um, clubs like City or Chelsea, or because most players are not going to make it, are they, and Barca do this as well, bring a player into their, their youth and reserve system. And maybe we have a, a fuller podcast on this in the future, knowing full well that they're going to sell him for two, three, four, five, ten million, but he's not probably going to make it in, in the first team. And if you've got that Man United stamp of approval, Barcelona, Manchester City, whoever, that adds value to the player. So it's a business within a business. And I see a lot of that happening. Dean Henderson. What's going on with him, Laurie? Yeah, well, he's obviously uh, at Sheffield United, and um, I'm I'm led to believe that he'll finish the season there. Um, if we do get football back, obviously, we had the meeting yesterday where they discussed uh, the curtailment, or at least they had to just sort of have a look at what would happen if they couldn't finish the season. Um, but you know, obviously, the question has been raised, hasn't it? His, his loan finishes end of May. Uh, what happens? It, it needs all parties to agree that it can be extended, um, even though obviously FIFA have kind of given that directive that they should, you know, honour contracts as if they were going to be until the end of whatever this season is. Um, but obviously United are competing for the Champions League with Sheffield United, so it kind of would be, which which they wouldn't have anticipated at the start of the season, obviously. So, you know, potentially could be advantageous if they say, actually, no, we'll, we'll have Dean Henderson back, thank you very much. Um, if, if they do end up playing matches um, beyond May and into June, obviously. Um, so I think, uh, but, but the, the word that I've got is, is that that won't be the case. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is very happy with what he's doing at Sheffield United and they want to see him finish the season. They don't think it would be right to recall him. And if they did, I think they'd probably be thinking, well, you know, do we really need to rely on such um, sort of practices to secure our Champions League future? They, they would want to do it on their own terms, really. So I think that's the situation with Dean Henderson. And Laurie and I have both spoken to Eric Steele about Dean Henderson. Eric's mm. a former goalkeeping coach. And Dean Henderson has been a huge success for Sheffield United. You're now looking at a 20, 30, even more million pound player who's come through United's youth system if they decided to sell him, which they don't want to do. But I love the idea of uh, real, real competition for David De Gea because Henderson is absolutely confident and thinks he should be a first-team goalkeeper, a, a, a top team. And if you've got those two people, like you, you've had in the past, you know, maybe De Gea stays number one, but Henderson still plays 20 games a season. And that, that was an idea which Eric Steele um, put on. And I listened to him because he, know, he knows his stuff. But Henderson has been a big, big success. And it'd be a shame to, to lose such a brilliant goalkeeper. However, United have got the best player paid goalkeeper in the world on, on the books so it's a nice situation and aside from Henderson you've got Kieran O'Hara who's very good as well um, Sergio Romero obviously he's he's experienced he's been really good for that role but United's goalkeeping situations is looking really healthy 
It will be um, interesting to see what they do next week. So, sorry, Carly. It will, will be interesting to see what they do next, won't um, it? Next season, yeah. in terms of yeah. does Dean Henderson stay and want to be a number two with the potential for rival De Gea getting those you know, 10 yeah. 15 games perhaps, or does he want to go out on loan again? I can't see United selling him this summer. I think. Solskjaer ideally would have wanted to see him in pre-season competition with De Gea yeah. obviously the pre-season yeah. now is going to be much different than what it was going to be so we'll, we'll see how that pans out but I, but I think I don't know gut feeling is that he goes out on loan again one more time and then that, then it really does get to crunch time what do you want to do with him um, but I feel like he's certainly a very realistic rival to De Gea in, in, in time Especially when you add in that De Gea's performances are not what they were I mean he set yeah. himself the highest standards ever but He's not reached those standards this season and he's got a lot of credit because he's been so brilliant and so important. But if he carries on making mistakes, then the calls for, for Henderson are only going to grow, especially when he's playing so well. A nice problem to have for Manchester United, but one that looks stickier as time goes on. Andy, talk to me about some articles that you have coming up on The Athletic. I believe you've been talking to Stephen Pina. Yeah, well, I've got a big one coming up on Rotterdam to coincide with the anniversary. And I think you might have been able to see that I enjoyed speaking about it. I'll enjoy writing about it as well. Um, yeah, I've done a couple of non, non-Man non United uh, pieces for The Athletic recently. I did Benny McCarthy last week. Benny's South Africa's all-time leading goal scorer and he played for Blackburn. And I've known Benny since he's been a kid, so he's really outspoken when he talks to me. He's just gives you the most fantastic quotes and in in one part and I'm going to just get myself wrapped up when I talk about this because I'm almost regretting saying it now but he talks about being allowed to play for South Africa because he said my coach said if you're old enough to get a stiffy you're old enough to play for for my team and I I said oh a what a what a stiffy you know when your cock is hard and I'm like (laughs) wow (laughs) and 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 Benny just gives you brilliant quotes. Benny's a Manchester United fan. Benny knocked Manchester United out of Europe in the 2004 mm. Champions League effectively when he was playing for Porto. And he was mm. really pissed off because on one hand, he'd scored these brilliant goals, brilliant header. And on the other, he's knocked out the team who he supports. And Jose Mourinho is going mad at him, saying, you, know, you should be happy. We've just had our greatest <laughs> ever win. Yeah, but I'm a, a Man United fan. But Benny grew up in the gangster league of the Cape Flats. Benny has seen a lot in life and he he's ready to be a manager again. He's he managed at Cape Town City and he's living in... Um, well, if I said to you, where does Benny McCarthy live? I'll ask you both, where do you think he lives? South Africa's all-time leading goal scorer. Where do you think he lives? I, I think I... Do I know this? Have you mentioned this to me before? Is it, is it closer yeah. to home than we think? Yeah. yeah. But Benny McCarthy lives in Edinburgh and got what? married... Oh, wearing, no. <laughs> and got married, got married wearing a Scottish kilt... <laughs> that wasn't where I was thinking, Andy. No, so that, that is, he, he met a girl from there and he got married there. So, one final thing I want to talk about, Andy. I hear you spoken to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for United We Stand. Yeah, we have done, and it's a, you know, United We Stand is a small magazine. It's a fanzine, and we've got no games to sell it at the moment. The, the, the copies we sell in the newsstand are probably fifty percent of the normal level. And if it's to survive, we need people to buy it. Thankfully, loads of people have. They've subscribed. And I just, I was just up front with readers saying, look, I can, I can use my time more profitably if I don't do United We Stand. But we want to carry on doing it. And they've responded. We've got record subscription levels, printed and digital. And Ollie Gunner had promised me an interview for a long time. I've known him for a long time. I've always had a good relationship with him. 
And he, he knew what the fanzine was. I remember him buying a United We Stand T-shirt in 1999, which is great when a first-team player does that because with respect to so many others, they don't even know what fanzines are. And so I've, I've spoken to Ollie. It comes out next week. And I had a, a good chunk of time with him. And, and I really appreciate that. And hopefully um, people will buy it and that and enough people will buy it so that we can send free copies out to frontline uh, health workers and, and to over 70s which is what we've been doing as well and we've had the most incredible letters from people who really appreciate that and i feel that if we can't help people now um then you can't help, help people at any time so ollie gonna i spent all day sunday transcribing him and my, my wife was obviously delighted with that that <laughs> i wasn't around to play with the kids for nine hours <laughs> nine hours transcribing Describing. That's that's a good interview right there. Andy, one more time for <laughs> listeners that are interested in United We Stand, how can they buy a copy? Just PayPal us a few quid. The address is uwsmag at yahoo.co.uk. It's free, three pounds ninety nine, including postage and packaging for the UK. Uh, Five forty nine for Ireland and the rest of the world. Or if you, if you're listening to this and you're not in the UK, the the cheapest way I'll just get a digital edition a lot of our readers they prefer print they like print but if you want to get a digital edition it works out um, much cheaper and we'll use that money just to carry on doing what we're doing it's bizarre we've had more articles sent in than any issue in our history why uh, maybe people have got more time on their hands because of the, the the current situation and i just want to keep going i want to keep people entertained and i, I think people are reading a lot more on the athletic as well the, the, there's there's time to People have got a little bit more time. I know myself, I'm watching a bit more TV and I'm doing a lot more reading. So maybe there are some positives to come out um, of the lockdown beyond hearing that Dynamo Dresden's sporting director is called Ralph Minge. <laughs> what a way to finish. I think I think we should just finish there. Um, that's all for this week, listeners. <laughs> To read more from Laura and Andy on Manchester United, you can subscribe and download the Athletic app if you haven't already. Go to athletic.com slash manunitedpod to take advantage of our 90-day free trial. Um, thank you, Laurie. For, thanks, for, Carl. I'm still laughing. Uh, and thanks, Andy. I can't. You've got a haircut, so I can't keep you here for too long. I'm, 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 I'm sat in the barber seat in 19 minutes, so the time is perfect. But <laughs> good to speak to you all. AD, Carl, Laurie, enjoyed it again. Always a pleasure. And thank you, listener, for listening to another episode of Talk of the Devils podcast, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be back next week.